Welcome back to the North New South Wales Sabbath School Commentary, where we're looking at this week's lesson. You might have been out enjoying nature one time, say going for a walk in the bush with your family or spending a relaxing afternoon in the garden. The sun is shining and you can hear the beautiful singing of the birds and the buzzing of the cicadas in the trees. Your five-year-old son suddenly points to a funny-looking stick poking up from a branch and then suddenly the stick moves. It's alive. Your curiosity jumps to another level with a little bit of fear mixed in for good measure as well. We can approach the Bible in a very similar way. Life is going well. We love spending time with the family. There are so many good things to look forward to. Trips down to the beach, vacations where we can visit wet and wild. And sitting on our shelf is a book called The Holy Bible. It just seems like all of the other books. It's got a nice cover and lots of pages with lots of printed words inside. We can approach it like any other book. But the Bible is alive. It's living. It's active. That's exactly what the author of the letter to the Hebrew Christian re reveals to us. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living because it's life-giving. When God speaks his word, life appears. And because life is created by the word of God, Life is sustained by the Word of God as well. Life does not flourish when we go contrary to the Word of God. In fact, life is stifled, quenched, and finally extinguished when we live at cross-purposes to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is living, we need to live by the Word of God. Our lives are at stake. This is exactly the message that Paul shared with the church in Philippi. Paul told them, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That's Philippians 2, verses 12 to 16. Paul's first focus in this passage is salvation. This is the fundamental question for each one of us. What must I do to be saved? This was the question that the Philippian jailer had asked Paul and Silas after they had saved him from falling on his own sword. This is the message that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus across the Aegean Sea. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But to the Philippians, Paul gives a surprising instruction. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is Paul contradicting himself? No. 
Because he goes on to say that it is God who works in you. Salvation is based on what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. But in order for that amazing salvation to become ours, to take root in our lives, we need to take God at his word. We need to take his word and allow his living word to become part of our lives. We need to live by his word. That's a choice we need to make for ourselves. Now, Paul is clear. This goes contrary to what is happening in the world around us. As saved children of God, we live in a crooked and twisted generation. We are surrounded by spiritual darkness. But by holding onto the word, the living word of God in our lives, we can live lives that are distinct to the world. Our lives do not need to be characterized by grumbling or arguing. We can live innocent and blameless lives in the biblical sense of these words. We can shine as lights in the world, as stars in the dark night sky. And how can this be? By holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the living word, holding fast to the word which God breathed out, words which are able to make us wise for salvation. So how can we hold fast to the word of life? What does living by the word of God look like? If you want to see that word, the word of God is living, what living by the word of God looks like, just take a look at the living word. Join me as we stand there by the River Jordan, listening to those incredible words. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. See the incredible love, joy and peace. As the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bask in the beauty of their triune relationship, as the waters of baptism continue trickling down the face and beard of the Word of God, would you like to enter into that experience? Would you like to be invited into that unity? Would you like to hear those words spoken about you? Well, let me share with you the scope and breadth of those words. In the Desire of Ages, Alan White tells us, and the word that was spoken to Jesus at the Jordan, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, embraces humanity. God spoke to Jesus as our representative. With all our sins and weaknesses, we are not cast aside as worthless. He hath made us accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1 verse 6. The glory that rested upon Christ is a pledge of the love of God for us. It tells us of the power of prayer, how the human voice may reach the ear of God and our petitions find acceptance in the courts of heaven. By sin, earth was cut off from heaven and alienated from its communion. But Jesus has connected it again with the sphere of glory. His love has encircled man and reached the highest heaven. The light which fell upon the open portals uh, upon the head of our Saviour will fall upon us as we pray for help to resist temptation. The voice which spoke to Jesus says to every believing soul, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Remember what Paul wrote, therefore my beloved, God is speaking about you. You are encircled by his love. But let's continue following in his footsteps. 
As the Son of God steps out of the water with the waters of the Jordan and the baptism of the Holy Spirit still dripping off him, the biblical record tells us that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. God's beloved Son being driven into a place that is deprived of food and friendship and fun. What is the Spirit doing? But it is this place, in this place, in the desert, that the divine identity and purpose is continuing to be confirmed. Rather than being a place to avoid, it's a place to anticipate and pursue. It's a place of solitude. It's a place where the Word of God becomes part of your soul. Satan knew this. And he wanted to uproot the word of God in the Saviour's life before it had time to germinate and bear fruit. If you are the son of God, he whispers. It's important to see clearly his scheme. Satan wanted to dislodge the father's word from Jesus' heart. He wanted to get Jesus to act in a way that was contradictory to the very word that the father had spoken. How does Jesus respond? He immediately responds with the word of God. It is written, is his instant reply. In the face of the attempt to dislodge the word of God, Jesus doubled down with more of the word of God. Watch the commitment that Jesus had. It's often observed that Jesus had the scriptures memorized, that he had these verses at his fingertips to swiftly and deftly deflect Satan's temptations. And he certainly did just that. But it's valuable to dig a little deeper. Jesus faced three temptations with these three verses. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. These verses are so familiar to us that I only need to say the first two or three words, and you could probably finish off the text themselves. However, it is valuable to discover, explore where they came from. These verses were found in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, and Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. These verses come from the same book, in the same section of the Bible, the Pentateuch, within two chapters apart. They did not come from the second chapter of Genesis and the third chapter of Malachi. They did not come from the Psalms, the Proverbs and Obadiah. Why was that the case? Prophet Isaiah gives us a clue. With a clear visionary eye seeing uh, the life of the Messiah, Isaiah writes, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Every morning, the father would awaken his son to teach him what he needed to know that day. He gave him the words that would sustain the weary, the tempted and the hurting. Jesus' life was not a random life, bouncing from one healing to another exorcism. Jesus' life was divinely anointed and appointed, and this included the words that he needed as well. We get the clear picture that Jesus' journey through the word was not random either. 
On the morning before the satanic interview, the father led his son to be studying a particular part of a particular book of a particular section of the sacred scriptures, Deuteronomy 6-8. to You can see him carefully reflecting on these words, pondering their meaning, considering their relevance, and absorbing their application. Jesus was studying Deuteronomy the day of his temptation. There's no doubt that Jesus had those texts memorized. They would have not been ready at his fingertips for him to draw upon if he didn't. But the Bible indicates that he was studying that passage that particular day. He was praying, Father, give me this day my daily bread. And his prayer was answered. Deuteronomy 6 to 8 was Jesus' daily bread, that day of temptation and ultimate victory. Jesus illustrated what it meant to abide in God's word. Later in his ministry, he told his disciples, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you want to be free from the lies of Satan? Do you want to be free from the spiritual chains of addiction and anxiety that weigh you down? Do you want to be truly be Jesus' disciple? Then you need to abide in his word. Later in the upper room, Jesus reiterated and expanded this promise. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15 verse 7. Ask whatever you wish. What an incredible promise. But is this like a biblical genie? Just rub the thy word lamp and voila, your wish comes true. No. Remember that it is the Word of God that is living and active. When we have the Word of God of abiding in us, the Word that created this world in six amazing days, that Word has not lost its power and efficacy. Abide in that Word. So how can you abide in the Word? Let's look once again to Jesus. We see Jesus spending time in the morning before heading into his day, listening to what his father wanted to say to him through the written word and through the spirit. We need to spend time daily in the word. Let me share with you a simple practical tool that revolutionized my daily Bible study. It's a simple journal, just an ordinary book that you can buy at a newsagent. It doesn't need to have a fancy cover or pretty illustrations, just lines to write on. I have my journal bundled on my bedside table with my well-worn Bible and my fountain pen beside my bed. When I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I reach for. There are times when I reach for my phone first to check my email, WhatsApp messages and Facebook posts. But to be honest with you, every time I do that, I feel spiritually empty. There is something missing. There is something that I haven't done. What really fills my heart and soul is spending time in God's Word. I read a chapter every day. You could read more or less. There's no right or wrong in how much scripture you spend time with each day. At the moment, I'm reading through the book of Proverbs, which are like a string of pearls of wisdom. God finds a way to speak to me through that chapter every day. The second way that I've found to be really effective 
to buy, abide in God's word is to memorize scripture. I was always amazed and challenged with the idea that people could memorize so much of the Bible. Think of the, the, the Jewish boys memorizing the whole Torah or people in, in the early church who'd memorize whole gospels or even the entire New Testament. My mind seemed so much more slippery when it came to Bible memorization. And then I decided I wanted my children to memorize scripture. I'd get them to repeat a particular Bible verse each night. And guess what? After a while, it really did stick. Not only have these Bible memory verses stuck, they've also transformed the way we think. Consider this one. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26 verse 3. What about this one? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Psalms 46 verse 1 and 2. These verses have provided my family incredible spiritual strength during the COVID-19 situation. We found that memorizing the Bible is an essential way of abiding in the Word. In our family, we want to truly be His disciples. We want to be able to ask whatever we wish and see it done in prayer, through prayer. Do you? According to the Matthews biography, soon after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Jesus went up on a mountainside to teach His disciples. It was on that mount that Jesus opened His mouth And people heard for the very first time those incredible words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For the next 20 minutes or so, the people sitting around the word of God heard the most sublime sermon ever preached. But Jesus knew these heavenly words would make no earthly difference unless those very people took them to heart. That's why he ended with this famous story. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. You see, it's not just hearing the word of God which makes all the difference. It is whether you are doing them, whether you're living by the word of God. We can be thankful that there were people listening that day who took those words to heart, who made the decision to abide in those words and obey what those words said because it was one of those people who wrote them down and by allowing the word to transform their lives and to to write them down for posterity we have these words these living words in our hands abide in his words your lives will shine like stars in a dark world.